0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point.
1: Welcome to Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point. I'm Li Chou sitting in for Liu Xin. The series dissects stories that are making headlines around the world and talk to my guests to compensate for the missing pieces of the puzzle. Now, in recent weeks, international organizations have been sounding alarm bells. A global food crisis is in the offing, exacerbated by the Russia-Ukraine conflict. David Beasley of the World Food Program, the WFP, goes as far as saying that the global food crisis is already well underway. And it will be, quote-unquote, beyond anything we've seen in our lifetime. So, how bad is it? Well, according to the 2022 edition of the state of food security and nutrition in the world, as many as 828 million people, that means at least one out of 10 in our world today, go to bed hungry every night. The number of those facing acute food insecurity has soared from 135 million to 345 million since 2019, a 200 million increase in just three years. A total of 50 million people in 45 countries are teetering on the edge of famine. And the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization estimates are even more chilling. Nearly 670 million people, that is 8% of the world population, will still be facing hunger in 2030. Obviously, the world is not on track to achieve zero hunger. One of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals originally set to end world hunger by 2030. But what are the contributing factors? Let's listen to how the UN chief Antonio Guterres has said. Our world faces a host of challenges, climate change, COVID-19, conflicts and rising inflation. Against this backdrop, food, energy and fertilizer prices are skyrocketing, aggravated by the war in Ukraine. Indeed, the Russia-Ukraine conflict has made matters worse. Both countries are key exporters of cereals, and around 50 countries depend on these two exporters for at least 30% of their cereal imports. For 26 of cereal these countries, it's more than 50%. Now, they are the most vulnerable to shocks and volatility. Also, Russia is the world's leading exporter of nitrogen, the second of potassium, and a third of phosphorus fertilizer. So no wonder grain prices shot up when exports of fertilizers were hampered. But do we have to grit our teeth, battle down on the hatches and hope for the best? Well, it's not all doom and gloom. According to the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres, ending hunger is within our reach. Take a listen.
2: There is
0: enough food in our world now for everyone if we act
1: together. But unless we solve this problem today, we face the specter of global food shortage in the coming months. He also underscored the need to immediately reintegrate Ukraine's food production as well as Russian and Belarus' fertilizer back into the global market. It became a reality with the Black Sea Grain Initiative soon. On July 22nd, Turkey, the UN, Russia and Ukraine signed an agreement in Istanbul, which includes the package deal to restart Ukraine's Black Sea grain and fertilizer exports and facilitate Russian shipments. Well, that was a real turning point, also called a beacon of hope on the Black Sea, especially for Africa and the Middle East, two regions under threat of acute hunger. And as of September 13th, 2.8 million metric tons of grain and other foodstuffs had already been exported from the three main Ukrainian ports. However, unexpected turns of events could rapidly aggravate the situation. Hunger is still ravaging many parts of the world. Famine is at the door in Somalia. 22 million are at risk of starvation across the drought-ravaged Horn of Africa. And almost a third of Pakistan is underwater. Over six months into the Russia-Ukraine conflict, There's still no end in sight. So, against this backdrop, is the global food crisis a foregone conclusion? Well, let's look at the media focus and what's missing in their reporting. Let me show you some headlines. First, look at these headlines. Many Western media claim that Russia has weaponized food, just like they did with energy. But it reminds me of Henry Kissinger's dire warning. Control oil and you control nations. Control food and you control the people. The Western Ukraine accused Russia of playing the Hunger Games with food exports. But the president of the European Council, Charles Michel, said at the UN Security Council on June 6th that Russia is solely responsible for this food crisis, Russia alone. But let's get back to the black sea grain initiative I mentioned earlier. It hasn't been plain sailing. Russia complained that Western sanctions were impeding its grain and fertilizer exports. James O'Brien, head of U.S. State Department Office for Sanctions Coordination, brushed the claim aside, saying it was, quote, an example of misinformation, adding that Washington was working in good faith. But the U.N. spokesperson admitted on September 7th that many issues were causing bottlenecks. With more details, the spokesperson said, This is an especially complex trade conversation that involves many issues, that involves many parties. I mean, not only governments, but also the private sector in terms of insurance, in terms of transport, in terms of finance. And we are working hard with all the parties to eliminate the bottlenecks. Pretty big, isn't it? So what are these issues? And what are these bottlenecks? We don't have the foggiest idea. So coming back to Charles Michel's assumption, is Russia solely responsible for this food crisis? the answer might not be as straightforward as it seems. If this wasn't enough, China is in the media spotlight once again. In this article titled, U.S. aid chief criticizes China's absence in a food crisis stoked by Russia's Invasion," published by the New York Times. The administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development singled out China for hoarding fertilizer and grain while millions of people in East Africa face starvation. In fact, China not only feeds its nearly one-fifth of the world's population, with less than 9% of the world's arable land, the country has also made positive contributions to safeguarding global food security through projects including the China FAO South-South Cooperation. In recent years, China has donated a total of $130 million dollars, And sent a large number of experts and technical personnel to countries in Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Caribbean, as well as Pacific Island countries under the scheme. And China has been the largest contributor in terms of funding and has sent the most experts and undertaken the most projects among all developing countries. So it would seem that the U.S. isn't quite seeing the bigger picture here. China has been active and has provided solutions to properly equipped countries with the skills and knowledge its population needed. As the Chinese proverb goes, Give a man a fish, and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. And finally, the blame game might end up as a mugs game. Everyone will lose, some more than others. This editorial piece published by The Guardian gave us a clue about what the root causes of the food crisis might be. It says, quote, The crisis is laying bare the broken food system that underlies it, in which consumers, often producers, struggle while others make huge profits. Grain trading is concentrated in the hands of only four companies, which are making record profits from desperately needed dietary staples. Speculation and profiteering were blamed for helping cause the Arab Spring in the last food crisis, and the fear is that they are once more prevailing. Well, these four majors, three from the United States and one from France, known as the ABCD Group, namely ADM, Bunge, Cargill, and Louis-Dreyfus, account for reportedly an estimated 80% of the global grain trade, and they have a finger in every pine, essentially. So instead of pinning the blame to anyone falling from graves or accusing others of ulterior motives, why not try and work out a solution collectively on grain and fertilizer shipments? But is there still room for a collective answer to avert a spiraling food crisis? We're gonna take a short break here, and when we come back, I'll ask my guests to comment on the story. Don't go away.
3: We all enter this world with a universal greeting. (laughs) We then learn to speak.
1: Mama,
4: mama. Bonjour. Comment allez-vous?
3: Oui, estoy muy contente. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and I've the world. Donated
0: an additional 500,000. General
3: Chairwoman 500 Company 000 Director Wons. of the, International the United Fund, Nations Climate. Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world.
0: Dunhuang situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, Faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. Why We Love Dunhuang? You will have your answers making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point.
1: Welcome back to Headline Busters. So is a global food crisis a foregone conclusion? Well, let's get more perspectives onto this. We've got a great panel. We're joined by Professor Sheng Yu at School of Advanced Agriculture from Peking University. He is joining us from Beijing. Great to have you with us, Professor. And also Professor Joseph Mahoney from East China Normal University he is joining us from Shanghai. And lastly, Mr. Shamim Zakaria, a journalist and commentator, joining us also from Beijing. Great to have all of you with us. So let me start with Professor Sheng here because you're an expert onto this. Russia has been widely accused of weaponizing food, but a lot of people might not know this. Some Western countries at the center of this global Food trade or grain trade, they are enjoying a record bonanza amid rising food prices, aren't they? Talk to us about how does this global grain market work? It seems it's not that transparent and it's highly concentrated.
2: It's great pleasure for me to get in here. I mean, I totally agree with your point that actually the global food security problem is not because of the production or demand side. It's mainly about the distribution issue. Now, like you just now have mentioned that uh, comparing to 2020, actually the global food supply has been already I mean, increased by 1.9% in total. Well, on the other hand, from the demand side, actually, because of the economic downturn and COVID-19's impact, the total demand actually declined by 2.1%. So if we consider on both sides, actually the total food, I mean security issue should be increased. However, you have already mentioned in your commentary that on average still are 828 million people still in starving. So it's generally about the distribution of the the food issue.
1: So according to you, we don't have that much of a supply issue at this moment, but rather the distribution problem is causing perhaps an imminent global food crisis. Uh, Professor Mahoney, is that also uh, what you think?
0: Well, I do think that uh, we've had, uh, in terms of pricing, uh, we have this idea that that the speculation in the futures market has impacted prices, along with uh, global inflation associated with the U.S. Federal Reserve's monetary policies and Washington's fiscal and foreign policies. Uh, plus the conflict in Ukraine, uh, which has contributed in part to disrupted shipping, uh, soaring energy and fertilizer prices, as you noted before, um, and then you know we've had uh, irregular and extreme weather, which has impacted uh, uh, regional uh, um, uh, agricultural production um, in China, but also in in Pakistan, and certainly. A poor crop in South America this year, uh, and at the same time, we've had although we've had some increased uh, production, as the professor noted, we've also had rebounds in demand as as the world uh, recovers from COVID. But uh, again, as as you noted, uh, one of the problem lies with the major traders, the the so called ABCD con- uh, 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 companies, um, and you noted that they that they control as much as eighty percent of the of the global grain trade. Some people uh, suggest it's even higher. Uh, at 90%. And uh, some critics uh, allege that these companies have uh, vast stockpiles of grain that they're selling uh, bit by bit uh, to reap profits, uh, given current high prices, but that could be instead uh, used to uh, ease uh, supply problems. And one of the concerns here is that these are private firms that that are interested in making profits um, and they're not uh, transparent on how much they hold or how much they could release to help uh, improve food security in places that are uh, quite vulnerable, but but poor and unable to afford uh, the, the, the prices that are currently uh, being demanded.
1: So there are concerns of profiteering and speculation and all of this. And Mr. Zakaria, let me get your take on this. What do you think? Because up until now, the UN has been saying the food crisis has always been about affordability, not so much about availability. But, you know, with the war between Ukraine and Russia drags on and the effects of climate change beginning to bite, will we soon face both affordability and availability issues in the near future?
4: sure thank you for the question so let's first understand what are the reasons that you know that uh, push the food prices up it's because of you know supply and demand factors weather and disease outbreaks geopolitical conflict and natural disasters and we see that in the present scenario all these boxes tick And having said that, let's also, uh, it would be incorrect to solely blame the ongoing conflict in Ukraine for the high food prices. That's because prices have been rising and quite strongly rising since the mid 2020. And if I were to quote the figures, like between May 2020 to February 2022, according to the uh, food and agriculture organizations of the UN, food price index went up by 55.2%. And and it led by like 159.4% rise in edible oils and and followed by sugar and other dietary uh, and other dairy and cereals. So uh, at the moment the, the food price has been uh, high fra- which started increasing from mid- 2020. the global food prices has been high at a 10 at a 10 year high. so and, and the reasons as I said like it would solely not be it would, it would be incorrect to solely blame on the ongoing conflict and let's also not forget that the western sanctions because of the western sanctions some buyers are avoiding to buy you know grains from Russia due to the
1: western sanction and that is also uh, escalating the food crisis. Yeah, there are obviously a lot of factors contributing to a food shortage globally. So, Mr. Sheng, what are some of the factors, either natural or man-made? Talk to us. Give us some concrete examples.
2: Well, uh, there are a couple of issues, actually, in addition to this conflict. Uh, Well, one thing is about the weather condition. Everybody knows, starting from, I mean, early this year, uh, the northern hemisphere actually is suffering from this, uh, I mean, severe drought. Throughout uh, European countries as well as North America, uh, according to FAO uh, estimation, there are around 1.4 percent of the decrease in the harvest of I mean the grain in summer period. This actually gives some contribution to the, uh, the the limited supply of the grain in the early year. The other side actually is I mean the continuing or ongoing uh, uh, spread of the pandemic in the early year also causing more difficulty for logistics of uh, the, uh, the supply things, including not only just about the, the grains, but also including this, I mean, fuel as well as uh, uh, materials, I mean, which is used for the agriculture production. Third part of things, I will say that, uh, well, uh, most of the countries, because of, uh, I mean, the, 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 the concern of the, of the uh, regional di- uh, dispute, as well as as I mean, freedom of domestic I mean, food security. As a consequence, they actually I mean impose a lot of very strict uh, exporting uh, uh, policy. I mean, in the early part of this year, this also I mean catching to uh, uh, how to say the pandemic. I mean, so, uh, uh, the, the the panic throughout the whole world. This also I mean adding a lot of I mean uncertainty I mean to the supply side. So wrap it up, I think all the above three factors, I mean, play some important role in affecting uh, or contributing to the higher uh, food price for the moment.
1: Yeah, and some countries are especially vulnerable to extreme weather conditions, right? Case in point, Pakistan, the vegetable cost there has been up 500 percent because of the record flooding. But let's also talk about the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Uh, Mr. Zakaria, let me get your take on this. This initiative is reintegrating much needed Ukraine grain back to the global market. But how effective is it in helping prevent a global food crisis? Is it just the law b- before the storm?
4: Well, it's difficult to uh, uh, say, wh- pinpoint like what exactly how it will pan out. But for the time being, let's say that there's a steady decrease in international food prices, and and the increasing availability of the badly needed grain from Ukraine. As it's, and it can be said that uh, this is these are the early signs of success. And if you if you listen to the statement from the UN trade chief, like Rebecca Grispan, she said that the prices have steadily gone down, and export from Ukraine and Russia has increased uh, since July 2000, uh, since July 22. Uh, uh when when the green deal was struck and it has helped to ease the pain for 1.6 billion people in the world so i think for the moment it looks like a constructive agreement having said that the conflict or, or the, the the fear always looms large that if in case uh russia decides not to continue the continue the deal after it it expires what will happen and, and will it again push millions of people into into hunger especially in the in the developing countries so it'll only time will tell how things will pan out
1: yeah that's a big question there right will russia agree- to extend the agreement because this agreement could be automatically renewed without further negotiation. But Russia has been openly expressing the dissatisfaction with this agreement. Uh, it's not happy about where the Ukrainian grain is going, saying that Ukraine is go- uh, Ukrainian grain is only going to wealthier European countries, not poorer countries. This claim is denied by the United Nations, of course. we have to point that out. So Professor Mahoney, Hi, uh- what are the chances? What are the chances of Russia extending the agreement?
0: Well, my sense is that Putin will not block uh, extension, that that would be um, uh, very uh, uh, detrimental to uh, Russia's uh, global image, including many of Russia's friends and allies that have remained neutral in this uh, conflict. Uh, They would be the ones likely to to suffer the most from it. Um, However, it it should be noted that Russia's uh, recent setbacks on its eastern front in Ukraine, uh, might uh, complicate uh, Moscow's strategic posh, uh, posture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might compel it to rethink the deal, or it might uh, compel it to uh, accelerate uh, other aspects of the conflict that could disrupt uh, both supply and, and the logistics with, with moving that grain to market.
1: And what could happen if Russia denies to extend the agreement, Our Professor Shang?
2: Well, in my opinion, number one, I mean, if this extension is not made further, then definitely will uh, uh, negatively affect, I mean, the supply set. As you all know that Ukraine's export is uh, continuing around, I mean, like 10% of every treatable grains, I mean, in the world. But on the other hand, we should look at the issue more from a more optimistic perspective. Number one thing here is that the current initiative only covered maize export. So according to the current situation I feel only uh, how to say make adjustment for the more I mean uh, supply I mean based on the the, 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 the initiative I mean for, for, for maize itself but didn't change any expectation for wheat and other type of things. So I would say that I mean if, if this I mean initiative hasn't been expected the more impact is more I mean how to say on the maize. I mean, export of maize trees throughout the world rather than other type
1: of grains. Well, we have to point out that on September 14th, UN chief and uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, they had held a call and the UN chief expressed that they are working now currently to remove the obstacles for Russia to export as agricultural products, other products as well as fertilizers. But we will see how this will turn out. But let's talk about China as well. Uh, Mr. Xiong, let me lean on your expertise. On this, China has suffered severe heat wave this summer. What are the impacts of this on China's food security?
2: Generally speaking, uh, well, this heat wave actually happened in the past few months has significantly affected northern west part of China as well as I mean southern, southern west part of China along the Yangtze River downstream of it. However, I mean the impact of it, uh, I mean on the green supply side actually is limited. To my knowledge, I mean, through the, uh, I mean, based on the statistics on uh, the harvest, I mean, from summer crops. Now, generally, the total amount of green supply in this year has generally increased by one percent. This is partly because very, I mean, uh, efficient policy support in the early part of this year, as well as very encourage, I mean, procurement price. I mean, according to the national statistics. I mean, this year, the total procurement of floor price for farmers, I mean for collecting or I mean purchase procurement of, uh, of, of, of the summer, summer crop has increased by I mean one cent. I mean uh, in in this in this early part of the year. Now in later part of this year, according to the forecast that we are going to also have a harvest year. So generally speaking, the total green output for China for this year will continue to about six. Uh, 650, I mean, million tons above, which means that uh, we are going to increase the total supply. Yeah.
1: Sounds like so far so good. But you know, a lot of countries, including India, Malaysia and Ghana, they have been resort to what experts are calling food nationalism, right? Limiting their food exports to the world market. Uh, Mr. Zakaria, will this have a domino effects on other countries? What do you think?
4: Well, in the short term, maybe yes, but also, you have to understand that food uh, for for a country like India, developing country like India, which is 70% agrarian economy, uh, for the government the priority is always to secure the rice bowl of the domestic population before they can export. I think that's one of the reasons why it has resorted to you know uh, putting a limit on on the import on the export of wheat. Uh, so that's one reason. So if you talk about, in my opinion, if you, if you ask me about will that have a significant impact on the world, I would say uh, maybe it will have limited short-term impact, but uh, in terms of long-term impact, maybe no, no not, not much long-term impact.
1: Let's leave things on a constructive note, uh, Professor Mahoney. What are some of the you know, measures that's needed in order to find a collective solution to deal with global food crisis?
0: Well, you know, we have we have a number of things that uh, clearly, as, as has already been noted, uh, that the UN is prioritizing this. They're trying to work out solutions with uh, Russia to to remove some of the obstacles, uh, not only associated with grain but with fertilizer. Um, we should expect these things to to move forward um, and although we have you know the threat of food nationalism uh, it's also the case that you know uh, a major agricultural country like India may have a powerful incentive to sell their grain uh, to to earn uh, uh, foreign exchange to earn money for their economy uh, especially when they're trying to recover so you know I think if we can if we can push through uh, this current spate of, of uh, global tensions as well as uh, the extreme weather we've had this summer, uh, and if the prof- as the professor says, we can avoid uh, a downturn of supply with the winter crops, then uh, we may be able to emerge uh, relatively unscathed uh, as long as we provide the necessary supports for the developing countries that are going to be hardest hit in the near term.
1: All right. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. That's all the time we have. Thank you very much for sharing your perspectives. Professor Sheng Yu joining me and Professor Mahoney and Mr. Zahariya joining me in Beijing. That does it for this edition of Headline Buster. Bye for now.
3: We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak.
4: <laughs>
3: Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. i an
0: additional the 26th United
3: Nations Climate team. Hear the difference. Join a global network to connect with the world.